0: everyone and welcome back to the third season of the rally dna podcast uh, where me killian and myself are delighted to welcome you back what we hope is going to be the best series to date
1: yeah welcome back guys and thanks for the support so far uh we're excited to be back again doing this after a bit of a break uh, which was nice and uh jamie i believe has some big news for us as well
0: we do we do uh we are very fortunate to uh now have a sponsor, Slip and Grip Automotive. Um, they are a UK-based uh, motorsport events organiser and members club uh, with access to the Bont Rally Stage in mid-Wales. Um, it's a completely unique venue that's very, very representative of most of the the awful snatches of, of, of complex hot map tarmac that we have in the UK, Ireland, and further afield. Uh, and thus, it's the, the ideal test shakedown and development venue for, for any clubman and upwards rally team driver or otherwise. Um, and we're delighted to have Ross and the rest of the guys on board with us. And I've no doubt that uh, their help, their support will help us make the podcast even better.
1: Absolutely. And and it certainly looks like a great facility. You only have to take one look at our social media to see the sort of roster of vehicles and crews that have been there, including, I suppose, notably to mention last year's British rally champions, uh, Oshin Price and Nola Sullivan testing in the Melvin Evans Motorsport Polo up there. So, you know, if you test at Slip and Grip's facility, maybe you can be a British Rally champion too.
0: So stay tuned um, and we hope to be able to announce some competitions and that kind of thing uh, in conjunction with the guys at Slip and Grip later in the year.
1: Great stuff. Uh, yeah, really looking forward to it and uh, hopefully start of a, a good partnership and uh, we can deliver a good season uh, in association with them. So let's cut down to business Um tobacco sponsorship not allowed anymore. So we've got these guys on board instead.
0: <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're all chain, we've both taken up chains in Marlborough's and 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 West's and Hoffman's and everything else just just for the just to, to keep the act going, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. State <laughs> Express 555. <laughs>
0: We should do that. Each 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 season should be Re- by review Cigarettes. I want you know the 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 West versus East German cigarettes that that we had you get on the 037s back in the European Championship back in the day. That that would be
1: very meta even for us.
0: And and also would be a commitment to the cause because we'd both pop our clogs.
1: Very detrimental to our health. Early. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of tobacco sponsorship, it might be. You know, uh, this episode will feature, if you look at the videos, uh, plenty of it, uh, I'm sure. So this week, uh, seeing as it's Monty, uh, and this episode is going out on the day that Monty launches, we've decided to pick the favorite Monte Carlo uh, from our lifetime. Uh, so we've both got a different rally picked uh, and why, why we like it, why we would have liked to have been there and spectated and what made these choices so special to us.
0: Yes. And I think this is I mean, this this is a, a really interesting way of, of framing it. And Killian should take credit for coming up with the idea. Um, even if it does mean that sadly I have a few extra Monte Carlo rallies I can theoretically call upon. Um, <laughs> that just gives you
1: a wider choice. It means I'm quite limited. Oh comparison. Oh, okay. oh, can I
0: have less choice, please? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'd like yeah. twenty-five years of choice, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yes, it's a fascinating way, and, and it's a theme that we're going to endeavour to continue at selected, choice WRC rounds throughout the remainder of the year. Um, the likes mm-hmm. of Portugal and, uh, and and other Sweden and, and other sort of gala WRC events with with
1: mm. Rally Croatia,
0: exactly, exactly. <laughs>
1: A staple of the calendar for so many years. What, what, which rally Croatia? Would you choose?
0: <laughs> I mean, guarantee. it to split hairs, I could probably go back to to something run under a communist dictatorship in the mid '80s. Some two-bit thing with, you know, episode Polonese.
1: You're not that old.
0: <laughs> hey, man, '88. <88. laughs> I could just about <laughs> sneak in with some episode Polonese action. <laughs>
1: Right, so anyway I suppose we better do this in chronological order Naturally, because you were a bit of a relic You are a bit further back than myself Um. So what have you chosen?
0: I have chosen uh, The 1991 Running of the Monte Carlo Rally Um. I was three years Old at the time and I'd be Lying if I said I was aware Rallying was, although I probably did Have access to a few matchbox rally cars In RS2000s, but, but not not wittingly, <laughs> um, and I've chosen it because it features, I think, one of the most interesting and fairly heartbreaking moments of pure human drama that, that group A ever served up. And of course, I'm talking about Francois Delacour's uh, fantastic storming run to so basically winning first time out for Ford with uh, the, the Sapphire Cosworth 4x4, um, and ultimately. To no real fault of his going coming up short in the final few kilometers. Um, it kind of taps into one of the things that has always drives my interest in, in rallying, in particular, and motorsport in general, and that's the human side of things. Um, as much as I like cars, tech, and oily bits, it's the, the characters and the human drama that sort of has always anchored me and rallying, living and spades. Um, so, yeah, without further ado, um, 1991, very interesting season, uh, if you ask me. Um, although Lancia's grip um, on on the, the the silverware had been broken by Carlos Sainz uh, previously, it was still the dominant force. Um, the Celica SD165 was a proven winner, but most people, I think, if you asked them, probably would have would have said that that Lancia were where, where in with where a shoe-in and of course don't want to ruin the surprise not that you know any of you need to know this it would ultimately go uh, a Lancia man's way uh, at the end final reckoning with Kankenden uh, winning but at the start of the year uh, it was very much up for grabs still um, Group A had kind of uh, come into its own um, and I would suggest this is the start of when a lot of the cars that were purpose conceived to be Group A rally cars were committed to the, to the to the sport and homologated as such as opposed to mm-hmm. earlier on in the decade in the late 80s when you had a lot of cars that were either not especially suited to rallying but thrust in anyway like three door Cosi, or just happened to be quite well suited um to to the to the sport uh, and had four wheel drive and a turbocharged engine um so what well- yeah
1: what would you say the state of the sport was at this point just thinking about it i mean Mm. you know early group a it produced some exciting cares but i think it was still in that time and exciting kind of drives because of the nature of the cares thirties things like that um but it was still struggling to kind of regain its footing with the masses after the demise of group b and and like this you'd nearly still call this early group a because it's kind of early what group a should have been as it were, you know, the purpose-built cars, as you say, it's probably still like 91, maybe not for everyone, and maybe not for everyone listening to this, there the are like 90, 91, 92, are still kind of largely kind of a forgotten kind of grey area. Not quite forgotten, but you know what I mean? You know, the it, 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 yeah. it, it was before the cars that Group A would ultimately be best known for had arrived, barring the Lancia. Um, but you know, the outside of, you know, a more, clo- you know, deeper niche kind of bunch of rally fans, like the Sapphire Cosworth, of, of which you love, I know, wouldn't be the remembered Cosworth. The Tree Door and the, then the Escort would be the the more memorable ones, potentially to a more mainstream kind of base.
0: Exactly that. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I mean, that's, I guess, everything's subjective in that respect. I don't have an answer as to what, how, 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 Good a health it was in, but I I think you're completely right. I mean, no one except people who listen to this podcast, if you said what's what's what which Salika GT4 comes to mind when someone says Group A Salika, not a 165, is is it? No, or maybe the ST205. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and and I don't know, but I think 91 because of the emergence of Carlos Sainz the season before Mm -hmm. and the fact that it proved that Lancia could be beaten. And mm-hmm. you know, we had the, the influx of Japanese teams or at least Japanese teams still firmly committed. Obviously we'll come on to this in a minute, but Mitsubishi had, had stepped up its commitment with a gallant. Yeah, had Mazda with its three two three, still underpowered a lacking cubic capacity, but mm-hmm. still there. Um and and yeah, and the looming prospect of Nissan and Co. So it's um I think there's whether it you'd have been able to identify it at the time, I think it was probably see change and step forward and i say this this is the biggest group a fan and apologist in the world but even i would suggest that watching a very skinny delta hf in 1987 competing in sweden uh, would have been a very hard Thing to to swallow if you'd if you'd watched been there twelve months previously you know uh, things had finally kind of got up to speed a bit the cars were looked had had a bit more visual drama mm-hmm. uh, and as we know because of the the fairly so so restrictor mandating they were making a lot of power
1: mm-hmm. so, yeah, yeah I think I think the arrival of of Toyota proper with the one six five. Was really the like a commencement of the sea change. Like as you say, it proved prove that Lancia could be dethroned. Um, but kind of you know it was the sign of things to come with manufacturers from, uh, Japan coming in and uh, once once the car got more reliable, certainly as well. Um, and I think yeah. I think the one six five is probably gaining a bit more respect and following in the last four or five years or so yeah. than before, as well.
0: I, I think that absolutely, and I think that the fact that it was a lot more competition, but I also think the fact that the fact you had Oriel and Sainz to the fore, which now in a world, anyone listening to this will have grown up almost certainly in a world dominated by French and Mediterranean rally drivers doing very, very well across the board. But back then, you know, this was to have a Spaniard and a Frenchman being you know, at the very sharp end of rallying and Soon to to start winning things in in Finland and the pla and the places that conventional rallying wisdom held that no mm-hmm. no Mediterranean or anyone outside of Scandinavia should ever had any hope of winning. You know, I yeah. I think that is, is something that perhaps is is slightly lost to history and time because back then the WRC was far more of a closed shop in terms of mm-hmm. who could win.
1: Well, yeah, the the. The old adage of if you want to fin or want to win, well, get a fin win. was was still very much alive. And the likes of science showed that they you could take the fight to their home ground um as yeah. well, you know, and, and then the, the rest of the nineties kind of bore that fruit. Tommy Mackinac notwithstanding, maybe, but you know, certainly his number of world championships aside, there was plenty people right up there with him at the times that he won as well. He never quite ramped away with them that drastically, you know. Exactly. Um, yeah.
0: And then into the mix, you have Delacour, um, who, I mean, maybe uh, 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 not a not a left field option per se, because if you'd been interested in rallying, you'd have been well aware of the heroics did with Peugeot 309s uh, for Peugeot France the previous year. Um, but certainly had had never had a works drive um he only got the nod when uh Ford of France sort of put pressure on Forum uh to take a chance on him and even then he was uh still reckoned to be fairly subservient to Alex Diorio and Malcolm Wilson his teammates um and the sapphire obviously as you said one of my favorite rally cars absolutely adore it Especially in turbofan form, beige turbofans. Who'd have thought beige turbofans? What a what a look! Um, uh, uh, but still, you know, yes, it was four-wheel drive. Yes, it had the two-liter YB with plenty of boost, plenty of power. But it's it's an archaic car, still overly large, not especially light. Um, I would suggest perhaps another example of Ford and Borum having to scrabble around to find a stopgap rally car not as much as a three-door because that was just thrown in basically mm-hmm. as a, a rallyized race car but but still not quite the the ultimate group a car that they would then mm. get in a few short years with the escort cosworth
1: yeah um, it's it's funny you mentioned the stopgap uh, and Borum and ford because that's going to appear later on as well yeah yeah
0: so so yes, um it's it's always appeal. Um and my own personal supporting and liking of Delacour uh it goes right back. I, I like his I, I was firmly uh in his camp when I was watching rallying in the late nineties into the early noughties when he was at Peugeot and, and et cetera, et cetera, and Ford. Um and I guess there's part of me that subscribes unwittingly to liking an underdog and and maybe in this Scenario we're about to describe Delacour. Well, he wasn't a drug because he wasn't unproven, but still, at the time, he was reckoned to be the next big thing that, and a a, a shoe in for the World Rally Championship. And of course, subsequent events rather dispelled that. And I, I think as a kid, I always kind of latched on to that. Um, so yeah, big fan of Delacour, and I would love to have been able to to watch the the Monte Carlo in 1991 stage side for myself. Right, so that particular Monty was the classic uh, affair of, of largely free of snow and ice, but not completely free. Um, I believe Cisteron um, and a lot of the second leg running uh, earlier in the day had a lot of snow at the top of the coals of some such, and of course you had the, the, the classic stuff of black ice being present uh, underneath uh, the, the shady side of the mountain on the descent and under the trees. Um so, yeah, basically a classic Monty with with the emphasis on tire choice that always brings, um, and that favoured Toyota at the time because TTE uh, had had firmly got into bed with uh, Pirelli. Um, they had uh, been the first to debut tire warmers the year before, um, which Lancia rather caught Lancia uh, on 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 the hop slightly. Um, this year, they had Pirelli developed a special. Uh, compound of snow tire, um, which was soon proved its worth. I think one of the things that uh, strikes or struck me when I was re-watching footage of this Monty is how much of a hangover of the bad old days of the group A eighties was still in effect in terms of spectator crowd control. Mm. I know that, you know, this was always a Monty issue, even up until the modern era. But back then we are talking, I mean it's it's near as makes no difference. Port- portugal 1985 1986 in terms of you know the, the, the people jumping out in front of cars and this bonte with was another was, was also a classic in terms of because you had the spectators were more than willing to shovel extra snow into the path of, of oncoming cars that they didn't like the drivers of particularly which i don't know i've always sort of blown hot and cold on because as a kid i thought it was Amazing! It sounds yeah. like the most fun you could have in the world, and why? Why wouldn't you want to to stealthily shovel a bit of snow onto your your least fancy driver? But because... uh, it
1: sounds so fucking nuts. Like, it, I it, mean, yeah. uh, especially it's not... when you say these kind of packed crows. like you know, there's the potential of 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 someone like spearing off into a crow because he's hit this unsuspected patch of snow or something. Um. And there's yeah, a lot really there, playing I mean. with fire.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, uh, not, not especially good breaks, snow, high speed, and, and sometimes less than stellar ice and gravel notes or ice and snow notes. Um, didn't help but that, uh, that uh, Lube uh, was, was feeling absolutely rubbish so when he went uh, slightly wide and straight on into a into a barrier. So I think that I mean looking at the footage, it's the kind of thing now that would bring a stage to a to a halt. But back then it was just uh, so right that the arm is a bit dented and some spectators are slightly worse aware, but we'll carry on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, um Ford's chief among Ford's rivals were still Lancia. Uh, they had works or semi-works, delta Growley 16 valves for Oriol, Biazion, Sabi, Kankanen and Lube. Uh, Oriol was the winner the previous year, which is what kind of announced himself uh, as as a Lancia man, but then proceeded to spend quite a lot of the remainder of 1990 demolishing deltas. uh, And the others were obviously very established heavy hitters. Biazion minted double world champion at this point, mm-hmm. Sabi, who apparently in the lead up to this had really damaged his back, so much so that the pain of it was making him feel physically sick. And earlier on, that was reflected in his less than stellar stage times and, and a few spins and stuff, which as a man who struggled with back pain and would be shite in a Lancia Delta rally car. I can, I can empathize. with.
1: Yeah. Uh, you can imagine like Lancia's team doctor, well, or probably non-existent team doctor, some sort of. It's just
0: biorio Just Biorio yeah, in a lab coat. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. He dons a lab coat and a stethoscope, sparks up another unfiltered cigarette and, and, and fires a load of, um, you know, <laughs> Under pervotant. the counter drugs, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 um, especially with these crowds, you think it, it adds up to a really dangerous formula. Right? The man who's been physically sick into the into yeah. the unknown, uh, with these you know badly managed crowds, yeah, um, with
0: running big boost rally cars on slippery low grip conditions, and yeah, uh, and the stages having changed quite dramatically since the ice note guys went through. Isn't there thinking about?
1: And how many of these deltas were Jolly Club cares then, or, or, or what was the uh, breakdown in the semi works cars? That would be Oriel
0: had uh, the, the, the the chief um, Jolly Club car uh, along with Savvy. Mm-hmm. Um, and reading between the lines, I think Oriel was given a Jolly Club thing almost as uh, a theoretical demotion or perhaps as a punishment for having knocked the corners off so many cars the previous year although mm. as we both know being in the Jolly club Delta integrale was hardly a step down at the time you know Bit of a sideways it was, move sideways <laughs> move yeah 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 um but it wouldn't matter anyway because uh, his he, he was quick at the start but then suffered engine trouble uh, and then it grenaded itself uh, I think on stage eight rightly um then we get Toyota uh, of course the sq 165 for this point a, a proven winner uh, with the aforementioned tyres well suited to its uh, to this particular rally. Um Kankunen, uh, had, had kind of done the the lion's share of the pain earlier on in the late eighties to did wrestling with the car's evil reliability in nineteen eighty nine. Um then obviously re-decamped off to Lancia which left Carlos Sainz as de facto team leader. I think it's easy to forget how unsh how how little was known about him and his ability to fill that role before 1990. You know, now, because we know about Carlos Sainz and what he can do and how God-given he was, it's kind of, of course, he'd be the natural team leader of Toyota. But back then, as an unproven young Spaniard from a country without a particularly rich rallying heritage, I think it would have been a far uh, less assured thing to, to assume. Um, but there we are, you know, at 1991, you know, uh, a world champion in a, a, a proven World Rally Championship winning car uh, with, of course, the X-Track uh, transmission, still more trick than anything Lancia could call one at the time, uh, ably supported by our, our friend of the podcast, Armin Schwartz, and uh, Mark Dewey. So, you know, really, we should be supporting <laughs> retrospectively TTE. Yeah,
1: um, but it's a complete debt trio. <laughs> Get careless, <son.
0: laughs> That'd be a hard sell, I think. Yeah. Um. Yes. Uh. And of course, um, science, uh, would of course go on to fight tooth and nail, uh, throughout the 1991 season with Kankinen. um, which which has always fascinated me, and as much as because the two seem to chase chase each other around terms of works births for most of the period in the early 90s you know it's
1: really weird isn't it
0: swapping from one to the other you know yeah yeah um but I mean it, it, it worked out I mean I guess it worked out poorly when Kankanen left TTE uh just in time for the Salika to come good in 1990 but then he kind of got his revenge if you if you, you want to sort of phrase it like that later this year by winning in the elderly Delta in 1991. Um, Schwartz was, uh, this This would actually be the, the best season or the most competitive season uh, in terms of points finishes for Schwartz's WRC career mm-hmm. uh, because this is when the season when he won outright in Catalonia later in the year which is so weird when you think about it. I mean, I know we've talked about this on previous episodes, the idea that, you know, a Spanish round effectively being added to the calendar off the back of Science's success in the same way that Zandervoort has been added off the back of um, Verstappen's success in F1. And here we have the German guy inheriting the whip <laughs> anyway. I mean, I find that fascinating. Um uh, and then, of course, uh, the, the also-runs, as they would end up being, um, the likes of Mitsubishi and Mazda. Uh, Mitsubishi had big, heavy gallants, even though they were the lightest gallants still, but heavy nonetheless by the standards of the opposition, for Salonen and, and Kenneth Eriksson um, and uh, a trio of Mazda 323s, Hanu Mikola, Jesus Purus, and Gregor de Mervias. Um, they'd all retire various mechanical maladies um, except for Saladin who would end up coming up a fairly distant, distant eight overall. Um, yeah, and yeah, I believe from what I understand, Saladin was was. I mean, it's interesting. I always found Saladin's post-Group B career really interesting because quite a heavy fall of being a world champion and the most successful driver in pure wins of the Group B era in terms of Group B supercars mm-hmm. to kind of struggling in Mazda 323s and gallants it must have been a hard thing to swallow I suspect
1: I'd wager so yeah it's kind of it's just kind of like it just deserves like a big sigh really it's like come 86 oh, that's all like, it'd be easy to forget and existed after 86 yeah, Frankly, you know, through no
0: thought of his own either. You know? No,
1: I mean, look, that gallant wasn't up to much. Um, it was fine, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't an inherently bad care, but it also wasn't an inherently competitive care. Um, no. I mean, it know. got
0: plenty powerful later on, you know, that, yeah, which which kind of accounted to as a counterweight for it being on the Lardy side, mm. uh, but uh, I think no, um, it's not, it's not for nothing that its only win was uh. The eighty nine RAC with Penty.
1: When you think of like the other kind of Group B graduates, like Cankers, who went off and had a really good nineties, really, you know, and and you think, well, surely Salen deserves some of the same trajectory, but you know, I guess there's only so many opportunities, but um, yeah, but also Cankers
0: would have been, you know, a fresh faced young gun who any team manager worth his salt would have thought we can market the hell out of this fella even back, back then a sort of more naive time for Provo I imagine mm. you know a guy who had his roots in the mid 70s driving Group 4 Nissans come 1991 I mean there's probably only about 8, nine, ten years in it but it must mm. have felt easier to sort of, uh, sort of sell him as a, a a past master or something.
1: I guess I guess
0: Um. So, leg one, um, basically seemed to uh, confirm preconceptions that it'd be more of the standard running. Um, Sainz scampered into the lead uh, and would hold it uh, for a good portion of the rally, um, leaving Biazon, and Sabi to squabble over second and third. Uh, The latter still struggling with with his bad back uh, and and a few spins understandably caused by it. Kankrin and Sabi both hit trouble even on the second stage um Sabi because of spinning I think Kankinen went wide off into the snowdrifts this at this point Delacour was in a not distant fourth but certainly a fairly subdued fourth um he he ended up uh, blowing all four dampers uh, early on in the first leg uh, going over a particularly high jump on the Col de Corobin um and you can see this footage and flipping heck. I mean, it's never an an, an argument for how far damper technology has come in rally cars. This thing leaps high into the air, and you see, you can almost see all four dampers pop and give up the ghost when he (laughs) lands. I mean, it's incredible. Um, Supposedly, Ford had to be convinced that over the radio that they were, in fact, uh, Duff uh, because they couldn't quite believe it. And it was only when he got back to service that they actually sort of realised how how good a job he'd done on all four corners.
1: Not a rally um, known for its big jumps either. So you can understand that maybe.
0: No, I mean not quit expecting such a thing. Well, exactly. And in the footage, you see uh, Delacour go over, and and then I think soon after it is Wilson. And no disrespect to Malcolm Wilson, but compared to the two, I mean, Malcolm Wilson could have been going for a, a drive on a Sunday through a high street, you know, uh, compared to the, I don't know, two and a half feet of of air that Delacour gets between Sumpguard and Alpine Road. It's quite impressive. Um, He was just two seconds off winning the fifth stage outright, was Delacour. Um, And then when quizzed about it later that, uh, that, soon after, he said that he could have been quicker, but he missed a couple of gears uh, midway through the stage. Um, About this point, the Orioles Monty started to go awry. Um, His engine and his delta cut out some reason halfway through ss4 refused to start for a good few minutes uh, which basically spelled the end of his charge he was quick when he got it running again he won a couple of stages but he was well down the order um and then later, i think it was ss8 the uh, the engine grenaded itself and chucked loads of oil over the front and he went off the road because of that um tricky tricky conditions at this point the usual classic thing of of lots of black ice hidden under creeping trees and the aforementioned spectators shoveling stuff on uh <laughs> but uh it it basically ended with uh delacour still snapping at the heels of the lead toyota and Lancy at the end of leg one the second leg uh brought the closest uh, set of stages that that year's Monty had to full snow. Uh, there was a, a fairly heavy coating over the top of the coals. Um, and this is where Delacore really started making A um, stages, of course, he knew very, very well. He'd done exceptional work here the year before in the 309 GTI. Um, By uh, the end of the early, the first stage, he'd overhauled both Lancia's to take second place overall behind signs. Still a fair way off, but you know, certainly he started making headway. Um, and he'd end up consolidating second over the remainder of the running that day. Um, he'd end the second leg nine seconds adrift of signs, um, but two minutes ahead of Biazio and Sabine Kankanen in that order.
1: Um, comfortable second then. And how, how far back was he from signs coming into the second leg?
0: Yes, he was. Um, Over just over a minute behind, uh, Saints at the conclusion of the final of the first leg, and then had jumped up to second, have made up effectively the best part of fifty-five seconds. Come the uh, SS seven, which is the pass through Berzer, which I believe is also Delacour now has a dog named Berzer. So, so maybe
1: (laughs) well, there's a connection there. Well, look, you know, a snowy mountain pass in Delacour. Anyone who's looked at Delacour's Instagram in the last couple of years knows. (laughs) What kind of training he puts in, <laughs> um, so you know, uh, you know, there was no Instagram in ninety one, but you can be sure that that's the kind of antics he was up to, <laughs> in his off time, which enabled him to make up that fifty five seconds or so.
0: Exactly that, um, and and for the rest, the remainder of the leg, he'd basically chip away at uh, science's advantage. Uh, it certainly, wouldn't all go his way because science still had uh, the measure of him and some time in hand. Um. Is yeah. It didn't help that uh, Delico's teammates Alex Fiorio and Malcolm Wilson suffered from various maladies. Fiorio's turbo uh, started blowing, then blew completely, uh, and then I think he had to have a new turbo fitted, which also started giving him gyp. Uh Wilson's charge was unburned, done by uh, front diff issues um, and uh, the, the 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 reemergence of an old leg injury from the previous year. The third, the opening of the stage of the third leg, uh, saw Delacour finally do what he'd been threatening to do for the, for the whole rally and relieve Sainz of the lead. Um, by a margin of two seconds to begin with, this would have been SS19, uh, the Mouliné to Le Boulogne is <laughs> stage, which is effectively uh, one side of the Col de Charini. Um He didn't have it very long, though, because Sainz struck back at the very next opportunity, um, the run-up to Col de coulelin um, and he, he would uh, emerge victorious with a, a handy buffer of eight seconds um, over Delacour, which Delacour would then proceed to do what he normally did and chip away for both, much of the running of the final leg. Um, that same pass, the one through the Col della Culle, um, which is again over the top of the Col de Strini, The second pass would prove just as consequential uh, because this is where Delacour finally overhauled science. Well, I was going to say good, but that might be a spoiler, but certainly it would have appeared to all watching that Delacour had finally done what he'd been threatening to and overcaught overcaught and overpassed science for good. Um, He emerged from that stage with a a, a 10 second buffer uh, and set about extending it. but this point, I mean, but come stage 24, 25 or so, um, Sainz had all but given up uh fighting Delacour because he'd scampered off into such an impressive lead of uh, the best part of forty-five seconds or so that uh, you know, even Sainz when interviewed said that he was happy to settle for second bank of points.
1: Take the points, uh, Tinker the championship. The
0: exactly. I mean, this is consistent, right? Um but it's the Monty, um, and it all came down to uh, a final of the Calder um in the dead of night. Uh, and, and well, yeah, the, the, the usual Monty spanner of the work stuff happened. Um, Delacour's hopes of a, a maiden win came unstuck. Um, the first inkling that something had gone awry took the form of the flow of reports, most stating that a puncher had sent Delacour and the lead Sapphire off the road and out of contention. Um, the truth took a little longer to filter through, but was no less devastating. Turned up at a rose joint, the left-hand rear of the Sierra had sheared, uh, which caused Dedico to believe the wheel on that corner of the Sierra had come loose. Being a, a Frenchman surrounded by partisan spectators, he was able to pull over straight away and, and, and sort of converse with spectators to see whether the rear wheel was still attached, which they confirmed was. So he carried on at speed, um, and it was then a few kilometers later that the diff finally, or the diff mounting finally gave up the ghost and the, the evil, ill, crabby handling threw him off into a snowbank off the road and he lost uh, six minutes and dropped third. third. Um, and I mean, that's heartbreaking to recount, but really me recounting it does nothing to, to convey how distraught it was. I mean, the footage is there uh, online and even I mean the, the the Duke preview footage that you can get on YouTube, yeah, seems to omit some of the really um, emotional bits because from there they've obviously cut the bit where Delacour is learning of what's happened and how and how and how far he's he's fallen, how close he came. So it's just him being fairly composed and and saying, towing the party line. You know, I I I'm here for Ford. It's still third on my debut, and it's good, yada, yada, yada. Whereas on a uh, fairly in-depth Googling um, revealed me finding the the, the final, the full uh, Duke video on un- in unedited un- un- form. And uh, it's pretty heartbreaking. It's full of partisan pressmen and spectators and Delacour getting out the Sierra and and smashing the roof in frustration and, and completely understandable. I mean, it would have been one of the upsets of the Group A age and it, I mean, maybe it's lent further um, tragedy might be too strong a word but lent, lent further symbolism and pathos for the fact that Delacour's career, as we all know, didn't turn out quite as as we would have hoped he would have hoped or or perhaps his talent deserved. um.
1: But, and but, yeah. nobody seems to love Monty as much as Delacour.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And and I mean, Christ, Calderini final night uh, the the best part of a minute margin in the bag, and his chief rival all but admit, well, actually admitted that he wasn't contesting anymore, and it was out of his reach. And I mean, just and it's not even, it's not even a crash. I don't know whether it'd be worse or easier or better for for him to stomach, whether it had been a big incident where he'd just gone too hot into a corner and stuffed in a big way. But to, to have your rear suspension give out on you and then not even that put you out directly, have the wayward evil handling caused by your iffy rear suspension being the thing that caused you to go off the stage and in typical Monty fashion, not actually do any damage to the car, really.
1: Yeah, Stop just cost you a heap of fucking time.
0: You know, like, oh, I, and I don't want it to sound like I sort of go and pick my choice rallies based on negative drama, although perhaps if we have a discussion about this in 12 months' time and I've picked a succession of Delacour rallies where he has terrible events, then maybe we can reconsider.
1: Just a rain shower and tour the course.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, the the Australian um, big crash. Maybe that's a bit too a bit too uh, negative. But anyway, um, I, I find it so compelling a uh, human drama. And of course, I'd have been a lot happier recounting this if he'd won, and it was a happy, clappy story of this.
1: Death. You would have picked it if he'd won. Let's face it.
0: Well, I would have picked it because I like Delacour and I love a Sierra Sapphire. And this is the closest the Sierra Sapphire came to an outright WSE win, which that's pretty galling. And I would suggest perhaps then it's created my thing about it being a stopgap. You know, this was it. it. It debuted halfway through 1990. I think Malcolm Wilson had done some pretty impressive stage times with it in San Remo. But, you know, to have a new car's best result be the opening round of 1991 and then mm. sort of kick around for the best car of 18 months before the Escort came on stream. And still, to be a third place is like, maybe I should, maybe I should start, like you know, uh, uh idolizing successful rally cars.
1: But... <laughs> well, you say like a new car, but this was ultimately that was the problem with the Sierra Sapphire. This, it wasn't really that new, was it? I mean, it if, will if,
0: drive, if, but still reheated leftovers.
1: <clears throat> if you line it up next to its main competitors in that event, next to the Lancia and the Celica, the and, and then this three-box barge, you know, and a very cool one, but, you know, and as we know, you know, looks alone don't determine a successful rally here, but maybe it wasn't the platform that was going gonna...
0: to... The, pod, the podcast medium doesn't suffice for, for the look that Killian gave me and I must have shot him for him to to add, and a very cool one.
1: I <laughs> know, oh, look, I love a SAF as well, and you know, and side exit exhausts.
0: And, and beige turbo fans, I beige
1: know. beige over light but navy livery, like that. It shouldn't it's a disgusting work. Disgusting livery. It's a disgusting. It's, it's a horrifically livery. amazing.
0: I love it. Yeah, 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 Beige and and blue and some like Q eighty red and whatever. Yeah, it's yeah it's, it's, it's red, red,
1: red, white, and yellow, and then big flame out the side. Um, and, and you've got all that boot, and it's such a flat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Delacourt with a, a full set of hair and a very attractive co-driver who's his actual girlfriend. I mean it kind of writes itself. Heck, maybe there's a reason it couldn't go as a fairy tale, because it'd be too too neat if it had.
1: Didn't she respond to you on the Gravel Crew one time, Arricha?
0: She did, yeah. I posted a few pictures of, of I think it was from this rally and maybe a bit later from the Tour de Course and and yeah, just explained how, how much he enjoyed it and everything else really. But uh, I thought better of. My French isn't good enough to to be able to woo a sophisticated forty-something and the rest uh, rally ladies. <laughs> that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> the,
1: le- the less said about that, the better.
0: Um, so yeah, that's my choice. Um, I, I I want to stress again that I didn't pick it for. The negative side, but I do find the human drama so interesting. My my long-term support of Francois Delacour uh, remains undiminished, and and I find this the most compelling. So I, I genuinely think there's a lot. I don't know if he was the most mentally. Uh, I don't think mental fortitude was one of Delacour's strongest attributes, and perhaps and maybe I'm just diagnosing from afar here, which one should never do, let alone someone with no actual. Psychological, psychological, psychological experience but I do think that his career would have been uh, a lot more fruitful if perhaps he'd started off with a win in an unfancied 40 Sierra, and, and perhaps further doors would have opened and of course turned down that offer of test drive in the F40 two years later three
1: years later mm. Mm. and there's a parallel time stream where you know the Sapphires rear suspension didn't give way and F40s didn't exist or something.
0: And this is the world that I inhabit,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, it was up to you The Sapphire would have been competing with ninety nine or something, so... um Yeah. <laughs> but no, I know, I know. I mean, it's not, you know, you're not choosing it because of, you know, the failure of one man. I mean, it, it is an interesting story. It's rife with drama, you know, and just because it was all teed up and then didn't happen doesn't mean the story is any less exciting for a care that it proved it could have won. Yeah, know, cause just because it didn't.
0: It's also classic Monty, isn't it? I mean, mm. um, science was dead set to, on track to win the year before until uh, I think it's Solika cried no more and, and, and oriol inherited the lead. You know, what I mean, if there's any rally, I mean, it's obviously part and parcel of the fabric of rallying full stop. But the Monty is kind of the preeminent force in serving up despair.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially as because it's always like you know new car, new year, so there tends to be these odd issues, and there's you know we've had oh, years, we've had years where cars haven't left Park Fermi, you know
0: the, the other greatest rally car of the modern era as well, the the Octavia WRC. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um. So, how about you, Killian? What's your what's your selection?
1: Well, Jamie, my my pick is the 1997 running of the event. um, The dawn of a new era in top flight rallying and one that I as a youngster would be obsessed with and still has the top spot in my heart. You know, 97 was the year that ushered in the new World Rally Car regulations that you could argue still kind of hold true today, you know, doing away with this homologation numbers, bringing increased performance as well and hoping to attract more manufacturers to the sport. Uh, However... Interestingly enough, only four World Rally Cares would start this event, which even when going back to write this kind of <laughs> boggled my mind a little bit, given how many would start the event literally the next year and the year after that, Um, two years later, 19 World Cares would start the same event between works and private teams, admittedly, um, but World Cares nonetheless.
0: That's an incredible start. Absolutely. I mean it speaks volumes to about amount of money still swilling around at the time that it would take just a handful of years for, for the number of, you know, homologated, developed and, and sold WRC cars to explode.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So now onto the contenders. We had I suppose right at the top of the list, I guess probably what would they have been the expected favourites going in? Mitsubishi. Um or Rally Art Mitsubishi, I guess. Um, 1996 world champion Tommy Mackinnon, freshly minted, returning in a Group A Lancer Revolution 4, as Rally Art has opted to stick with the Group A uh, cares for the time being. And moved up while well, seeming like it would spell disaster right from the off, would really only bite them a few years later, to be honest. Um, Uwe Nattel would drive the second Lancer on the event, this one being a proper Group A car in, in that it was a Evo 3. Yeah, and a better looking car Peak actually. Evo. Peak Evo. I much prefer the Evo three. I, don't, I think the four is is too much of a bit of three and a bit ah. of what came after. That the rear end on the three is much nicer for my liking.
0: Yes, everyone's overlooked Evo as the four. Mm.
1: Yeah, nice car, all the same. Uh, no, well, I said, it is a Group A car, and it very firmly is one. It isn't like they just slapped a new badge on the car changed the rear end and went home early as the other teams were developing cars to the world rally Rigs. no this car would feature an all-new sequential box something uh both of its competitors here lacked in fact uh, as well as relocating and rotating the engine the infamous or famous 4g 63 180 degrees for better balance
0: yeah i mean that's quite something isn't it i mean there's there's Homologation changes and homologation changes, and completely. I've always found that interesting because it speaks volumes to how how highly Mitsubishi regarded rallying at the time that they'd be willing to to countenance doing such a huge invasive change.
1: Mm. You know, and even that the fact that, like, well, the word rally regs had come in and, like, sequentials would have been allowed. Uh, the only group A car here was the one that ended up with a sequential as well. But you'd think that almost immediately you'd go. Well, you know, there's an engineer at Pro ProDrive and Borum rubbing their hands going, all right, finally, sequential boxes, let's go, you know. Uh, and that was an Invex sequential box, if memory serves.
0: They certainly weren't resting on their laurels, were they? You know, it's easy to discount it as just clinging on to group A for too long, but not a bit of it.
1: Fair from it, really. I mean, as it did bite them later, but that's a story for another day. But they were kind of borne out for a couple of years, to be fair given that on paper it really shouldn't have worked. Absolutely. So then we have Ford. Now, Ford would debut the new Escort WRC for this season, easily distinguished from its Group A forebears by its different rear wing, as the distinctive one from the older car was too big under the new regs and needed to be reduced. The max width currently allowed in the World Rally regulations was 1,365 millimetres. And an all-new, all-awesome noise. I think the Escort WRC has to be right, right up there for best sounding of the World Rally Carrier, along with S12B also cracking. Um, But I think Escort WRC, particularly for its anti-leg.
0: Yeah. It's it's not, objectively, it's not a nice noise. It's just a racket and an amazing racket. It's yeah. Amazing. Yeah, fine a load of spanners being in a bag, chucked down some metal stairs, and I love it.
1: <laughs> and unlike the Mitsubishi, it retained a H-pattern box, though this wouldn't stay there for long, and it would get a sequential later in the year. Um, 97 was Ford's first year partnering with Malcolm Wilson's M-Sport outfit. Uh, this is very much a transition period for Ford. kind of unusual. Borum undertook the design and development of the new car, but M-Sport would build and run the cars. Uh, to be honest, Escort WRC is an episode of its own. Uh, I actually trimmed out a load of Escort WRC things here because I, I could easily get bogged down into it. And it's a, it's a really interesting care and topic in itself. Um, and I bet Jamie's itching to point down now that about Ford calling the FIA's bluff on the aren't you? To <laughs> a degree, yeah.
0: I mean, I've always found it interesting that the way that uh, Ford and the FIA come sort of a backroom deal. Uh, to, to effectively allow them to, to compete in a another halfway house Ford rally car,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's a and we've we've purely ended up at these both these topics by accident, <laughs> and there's a line between yeah. them here. <laughs> yeah, so technically, it's an extension of the Group A homologation, and I won't list off some numbers now, but um, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a modification of the, the RS Cosworths and technically. Um and former world by the
0: FIA, you can see what the FIA did in that respect. It's a case of what, what do, you, do you want two WRC cars at the starting line-up? Or well, this <laughs> is it. Yeah, I
1: mean, they would have, it, it would have been the FIA left with egg on their face if only Subaru had turned up with a World Rally car to these new, exciting formula.
0: I was lucky enough in a, a previous life, uh, lucky enough to interview Malcolm Wilson over the phone in the lead up to 2017 about the their new WSE cars. And I asked him about this. I always found it interesting about the, how it kind of broke down in terms of who did what and, and how the deal was struck. And, and Malcolm said it was all Ford forum, but mainly Ford at Detroit sort of throwing its weight around um, you know, M Sport got on with the nitty-gritty of of making rally cars, whereas it's passed up the chain for for heavy hitters to throw their weight around, which makes sense, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, ultimately, it's the big manufacturers that the FIA would be afraid of, I guess. So, um, just like (laughs) this goes right back to your one now as well, former world champion Carlos Sainz would return to lead the team's challenge, ably abetted by Armin Schwartz, <laughs> uh, a friend of the pod, as you say, um, now partnered by Denis Giraudet, um, who had been sitting with Armin since Toyota's enforced sabbatical in 1995. Um, Schwartz had partaken in the development of the car with engineer and friend of his, Philip Dunnebin, who was no, no doubt itching to get going. Uh, and this was all Borum development and testing, I suppose we should point out. And, um, have been actually leave the project quite early. Again, that's a story for another day, really, I guess. And then we have Subaru. Uh, Subaru had and ProDrive had embraced the new regs with the Peter Stevens-designed two-door Impreza, or as ProDrive would call it, the S5WRC. Possibly one of the best-looking rally cars of all time. Yeah? I
0: mean, I, I, it's indisputable, really. Um Yeah, yeah, I... There's a reason that everyone of our generation of surrounding it just fell in love with rallying. And I, I dare say that that car was well over 50% of the reason why. Because how could you not just look at it?
1: Yeah. And, I, and I mean, I, I, if, given the choice, I would actually, if you said, okay, take your pick between an S5 or a 555, I would take a 555. But there's just, the S5 just looks. So at home on a stage, and the the big arches look so well with that two door shape. And I think mean, Stephen just did a great job, and and the car looked really really smart. Um,
0: yeah. I mean if you strip away our collective love for the underdog, the S five WRC is the clear winner. It's such a good thing. Pete Stephen's also the guy who uh penned the McLaren F one mm-hmm. styling as well. Yep. But
1: Decent CV. I,
0: not bad, eh? Yeah. I'm
1: um so you know, swollen arches, a more sporting appearance you now with the two-door body shell. Um, I would have been starting from a stiffer, uh to- a better torsional rigidity standpoint as well with the two-door, you would imagine. Uh, and like its rival from Ford was also still using a hedge pattern box and was yet to acquire the active differentials later, in Pretza WRCs would be equipped with. Now this, this two-door impretza, despite looking kind of quite advanced, it actually shared quite a lot with its Group A predecessor. Um, you know, the, the engine was just a revised version of the Group A power plant. No, it had numerous revisions. Uh, most notably, I guess, the turbo was relocated, enabling a much bigger air intake and an improved exhaust system as well. Uh, the Banbury outfit was fielding two cars for this event. P2WRC would be crewed by 95 champion and 96 runner-up Colin McRae with Nicky Grist alongside him. Um, and this was Nikki's first season with Colin. And then Piero Liati, who was to do the tarmac events for this season, uh while Kerr Erickson would contest the gravel events. Uh, so Piero was piloting P3WRC, co-driven by Fabrizia Pons, of um you know, who'd been, you know, very successful in her co-driving career to this point. She'd taken an extended break at one point, actually. I think she, I think she did a rally between eighty-six and ninety-four or something crazy like that. Like a big gap post-group E Pans had a big gap. Um just
0: sitting out sitting out all those narrow deltas, you know, like stuff that now now Michelle's gone. I'll kick around for a wee bit and yeah. when things are getting good again. <laughs>
1: I mean a few strong names running in group A machinery, uh a name again from from your your pick, uh Didier Aurel uh in um was it RAS Sport prepared Escort RAS Cosworth? Yeah. Um, well, it was an Escort Cosworth, but it is RAS Sport in that Mobile 1 colours. Yeah.
0: Red, white and blue Mobile 1 colours. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh. And up-and-comer, strong up-and-comer Freddie Likes, Uh and Sven meets in their ST205 Salika GT4. Um, Quite a few Salika ST205s in this uh, event as well. Lundegaard was knocking about in one, um, as well.
0: Did the guy knock out Rocky? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's easy to forget how uh, how hot how how hot a property Freddie likes was back oh. in this period. You know, fresh off the back of a giant killing in Belgium with the same car.
1: Mm, and uh, he was barely out of the Astra days at this point. Um. As well, isn't that what he really cut his teeth in? It was an Astra GSI. Yeah, they
0: spent in that Calibre as well, didn't they, for his for for sins? Um, yeah, that's
1: unfortunate, isn't it? Uh, so for the first time since the 1960s, the rally would feature a special stage to kick off proceedings in the Principality itself, uh, which was also going to be repeated for the final stage, rather unusually. Uh, as usual with Monty, weather conditions would have a big impact on the event, where crews expecting to see snow, ice and wet tarmac as the elevations changed on the stages in the mountains. So why is the 97 running with a seeming lack of top-level cars my choice for favour? Well, as I mentioned earlier, it ushered in the era of WRC that I most closely associate with it, so it's always going to have a prominent place in my heart. As Just a couple of years later, young me would be glued to the Eurosport coverage fascinated by the cars this new rule set had created and you know my old man had a focus in the drive it was a five-door but it did look reasonably similar to the one i was watching on the was tv it
0: that, was it in that uh teal green color it actually was yeah <laughs>
1: yeah. You <know> the color. <laughs> yeah it was and it was actually uh, i suppose maybe appropriately for this episode it was written off uh, on ice about, four, about 400 yards from our house my dad was taking it to work one day clouted a bollard outside outside a school uh, as he tried to brake before the pedestrian crossing and slid straight into the bollard just he just okay just around the corner <laughs> yeah and and he actually couldn't have been going more than 20 kilometers north because he only would have turned out of her estate as well and it was that green, yeah. So they they wrote it off. Or was, yeah, maybe he had something else in that. He crashed a lot of things, my dad. <laughs> no, he didn't. No, that wasn't near the school. That was somewhere else uh, in the focus. It must have been something else done. He? he crashes lots of things. Does he yeah. listen to the podcast? No. And,
0: and is he going to be happy with you, you know, crashing Oh,
1: things? I've been giving him abuse for crashing things for years. <laughs> uh, we could spill the rest of this episode of be listing the things he's crashed. Um. <laughs> so, uh, where was I? Yeah, so, you know, I, I know it's a romantic notion, but, you know, formative rallying memories, all oh, lots of the world rally car rules. And looking back, you know, it has, it's interesting as well. Like, current to me is probably more fascinated by Group A, maybe just because that was the one that preceded my interest. And like, 97 has kind of one foot in Group A and one foot in the future. Um, you know, with the two competing world rally cars, the Escort and Impreza, still having close ties to their predecessors, which makes them more interesting from a you know, both a technical perspective as well. Speaking of those two, I never tire of watching them being flung around. You know, I adore the Escort. You know, and I, and I've been a diehard Subaru fan. You know, all my car loving life or whatever, and I've owned I've owned plenty, uh, or multiple ones rather. Um. But I love the Escort. We've mentioned the ALS sounds, uh, and I've a far greater attraction to the Escort WRC than its Group A forerunner. The Escort RS cars were really never excited me a whole pile. Like I appreciate it; it's cool, seven gears too many. Um, it never lit a fire in me the way Sierras and uh, of both types, both the Treador and the Sapphire, and then Escort WRCs did. It just, just didn't really. I never found it that exciting, to be honest.
0: I think you've hit on something good there in terms of being a foot, in 97 being a foot in both camps. And and it's reflected in, in the cars and how they drive as well. This is mm. an era when, you know, uh, guys raised in Group B or Group A driving and, and the sort of fairly analogue man handling approach that that required could still do well and drive WRC development. And and you see, you know, there's none of this handling on rails like you get eight years later. You know, it's, mm. it's still quite sort of heavy handed, throw it around and deal with the consequences and you know, oversteer yeah. out your situation.
1: They're keeping the car moving around still a lot more at this point rather than taking that smoother approach. You know, mm-hmm. a lot more of, of using the weight transfer, shifting the car's weight about before the corner, rather than picking a line and sticking to it. And letting Let the active diffs sort well. it out. Say again. Yeah
0: and have to physically work to do, to get the car to do that as well in terms of, you know, a physical input.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, you look at the amount of adjustments to the steering wheel that these guys are doing in this, in this time, and even up to kind of 99, 2000, maybe 2001, there's still yeah, so much just yeah. flinging and crossing of arms going on inside the cars. As you, as you look over, in my opinion, the much better onboard angle, the onboard angles we have today are fairly poor. I think But again, that could develop into a rant quite quickly.
0: Onboard angles have been shite since we lost Subaru and the the inlet on the bonnet. That that that's my that's the hill I'm dying on. Okay,
1: okay, we can we we can pop that in the WRC TV suggestion box or something. Do you think when they were designing this new tubular space frame? Safety cell. They would have had a good angle for the onboard mount <laughs> built in. I
0: just want a boxer inlet scoop on anything. Yeah.
1: Um. So yeah, and as for the Impreza, there isn't many rally cars that look that good on the stage, as we said. And I love for all its advancement, it's still very analog nature, as you just pointed out. Though it did, it did lose out in the sound department to the earlier cars. We did lose something post ninety six with Subarus, although we did regain a great noise in the S12B, which is one of my favorite sounding rally cars ever, but it's not the boxer noise either. It's, it's nice for a different way. Um. So on a pure sensory pleasure base, donk me in, in, in front of the telly with the Monty 97 clips, commentary or no, and you'll find me grinning ear to ear. That Repsol Escort livery is great as well. They look great on tarmac. Every car here looks good, really, bare the back of an Evo 4. Uh, further enhanced by some tasty SC205s mixing it up as well. No, none of this is really enough justification. We've got to talk about what went on. So let's get to the meat of it, the fight on the stages. Crews entered a slippery, rainy SS1 on the super special, the shortened version of the GP circuit, which was ultimately won by Belgium's Fast Freddy Likes and his Celica, two seconds clear of Carlos Sainz. So it doesn't bode well initially for this new World Rally cars, does it? Um, you know, this uh, Escort WRC whooped by a semi-private... Salika ST205 uh, which would have been a couple of years out of date at this point really now of course super specials mean realistically nothing so the real action would be in the amount, the mountains north so stage 2 oh fuck it I don't know how much of a go I can have it pronouncing this so Lalu La Vest <laughs> oh, anyway stage 2 uh, <laughs> stage 2 won by, by the Spaniard uh, The stage started at an altitude of 500 metres and finished at just over 1,000 metres on slushy, icy roads. Um, Treacherous conditions in a high-performance machine that's on the wrong tyre, if you're Tommy Mackinnon, who was on the wrong tyre and sliding all over the place. Now, if you look at the footage, there, there isn't a massive amount of footage at this stage, but he's he looks like he's having an absolutely horrendous time. Uh, Clouts of signposts and banks. Um, well, signs looked much more composed, although oddly enough, if you look at the footage from that stage, you wouldn't believe that signs actually ended up only four seconds faster. If you if you look at what Mackinnon's doing in that Evo, you'd expect him to be way further back. Although signs is pretty, you know, he he's he can be very conservative at times, you wouldn't expect him to be going flat out on the second stage of the rally. Science had actually chosen wets while Tommy Lapton for studded tyres just didn't seem to work out for him Colin McRae on the other hand you know who was coming into this event with um, a lot of hope in the, the new Subaru was never a huge fan of Monty and would finish the stage 24 seconds slower than Carlos, again struggling the conditions, Care was penduluming all over the place so by the end of the second leg of the rally on day two, we would have actually had four different stage winners for the day, with Mackinac claiming the fastest time on the second stage, while Liati would claim two fastest times, and Freddie Likes would again claim a stage win, uh, beating the, new, the times at a new class of cars, despite a spin and hitting a bank earlier in the day, kind of clouting the front end of it, but no major damage. Armin Schwartz would also pick up some damage to his escort and finish the day nearly three minutes adrift of the leaders' With the day's proceedings wrapped up, it seemed clear who the fight for victory would be between with the top but at the top signs and Mackinnon just three seconds apart, followed by Liati another twenty-one seconds back. McRae in fourth place was over two minutes behind and really completely out of contention. Liati seemed to be having a much better time of it than his imprezza, while Colin was frustrated with the position he found himself so early on.
0: Do you did you find yourself because you you, uh it's interesting now that there are there's a whole generation of people who have have grown up being uh, colin mcrae fans without ever having watched him as a rally driver what in his prime you know, as a career rally driver which is fine but what what I find interesting is how growing up watching colin and i'm sure you would agree it was always a sort of like bug at the back of my mind that he was going to start each season with this this event that he really famously detested, the Monty. Openly.
1: You know, like, I mean, like, he, like, he never a, hit yeah,
0: it. Yeah. And as a Colin McRae fan, it's like, because, and the thing that struck me is like now, obviously, with the passage of time, he's a legend. He won his championship. It's fine. It's fantastic. But at the time, you know, when he was actually competing year after year, I, I. I. I each year, I'd have this sort of mental dread as a kid. It's like, oh, man, this is going to be a painful start.
1: Yeah. I, it's really odd, especially because, like the Monty Roads, if you take the conditions away from it for a second, right? Like the Monty Roads themselves, are like he's quite decent or good to watch on similar roads, right? Okay. Like, you know, you, you look at, you know, very, your San Ramos and things like that. You can compare a lot of the roads in San Remo, which is only down, literally down the road from Monty anyway. is similar tarmac. Okay. Remove the snow and ice element for a little bit well, he was never that bad in Sweden and the likes, you know, uh, and you think, you know, if he just kind of kept it together and, you know, if he if he didn't like the, the mix of conditions that he keep it together and kind of hammer it around on these dry tarmac hairpins or whatever. And he just, and it's I don't know, was he kind of a victim of, he decided at some point he didn't like it and it was just because he decided he didn't like it that it was never going to work, no matter what he did.
0: That's what I'd love to know more. And I suspect it's the kind of thing that, a because sadly he's no longer with us. But even if he was, perhaps unless you were, I don't know, you knew him personally, he'd never tell you. I'd love to know whether it was a case of you know a chicken and egg. Was it a sort of mental thing that he decided I dislike this and and but but you know I mean he wasn't short of mental fortitude, and I'm sure he would have come round to the idea that you can't start every WRC title season now this kind of back foot. But I mean, yeah, he never did make it work per se did he you know it's, it's...
1: it still seems hard to believe that he just <laughs> always had these kind of if not shockers but nothing to write home about at Monty
0: it's never an easy thing being a McRae fan in period was it it was never you could never like Tommy Macdonald, sit back and, and sort of say maybe he'll win this one it's fine I can go for the kettle on Colin there was always a
1: particularly because of course when I started watching it, like, you know, it was the focus days. So although I knew it, it, the Subaru thing at the time, but when I was like seven in 99 and I very much remember watching Kenyan Safari in 99, I can picture clearly the bit of footage I was watching. It was kind of the focus. And while the driving styles was very much flamboyant, obviously he didn't have, you know, he had mixed success, I suppose would be the way to, to put it.
0: Not helpful, the fact that that 99 Focus's reliability was just shocking.
1: No, I had that awful fucking rear spoiler as well. I hate that rear spoiler.
0: And the delivery is shite compared to the others. Shy. Well, anyway, I digress. I apologize. Carry on, mate.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, we'll have to get a message to Nicky Grist or someone. Maybe he can offer some um, opinions on the Monty thing. Um, somebody's, somebody must know. Um so yeah, the next day dawned with clearer skies and drier roads for the most part, free of snow, but damp and drying in places. Uh stage seven kicked things off, a repeat of stage four from the previous day, another five hundred meter change in elevation, climbing on typical twisty roads one associates with this rally, opening with a rather technical section, becoming faster and more flowing then getting more demanding and technical once again, before leading to an incredibly quick section about six kilometres from the end. Signs would lose the lead to Mackinnon here, who would remain the leader throughout the day, while Pierre Liati and, Fra- and Fabrizio Pans continued their form from the second half of the previous leg and would claim to win on the opening stage of the day, 13 seconds faster than Mackinnon, and now moving into second place. But woes, <laughs> to bring him back up again, culminated in an off on the same stage hitting a tree and breaking the rear suspension, limping back to service with the the rear left wheel flopping and crabbing about, and he would retire from the the event. Fortunately for Subaru's hopes of good manufacturer's points, however, their choice of teammate for McRae was paying off in Liatty, who was staying in touch with the two world champions and he was sharing the top three with and looking very at home in the new Impreza, creating places with signs twice he got as close as eight seconds to the lead at one point before ending the day 24 seconds off in third place, three seconds behind Sainz only. Stage eight resulted in the fifth stage winner uh, in Armin Schwartz, who despite competitive times in this leg was too far back after the previous day to challenge for a podium position. Freddie Lykes, who was performing strongly until now, went off on the same stage as McRae, but was able to continue and then after the following stage, ended up back in ninth. After another incident on stage nine, left him in twenty-first place after losing twenty-two minutes.
0: Salika looks great as well with its uh, rear three-quarter held together with gap tape, but that's probably kind of a pervert and quite like WRC cars that are, and group A cars that have been damaged.
1: It's a, it's an, I love a bit of running repairs. Sure. On, oh, and this
0: focus look great as well with its, tarp, its face missing earlier on as well in yeah I
1: just, yeah. I don't know what what it is about it, because you couldn't get it now because it just everything disintegrates when you pull one of the arches off. Um, They seem to held together like this is the era where you you'd smash them, but they still kind of they'd remain in place, but they'd be all smashed up, and and it's just kind of you're wearing their scars kind of proudly to an extent. back in the service park however signs is complaining of engine issues and misfires throughout the day now whether this was the sort of racing driver's excuse or not i don't know um because he's still sitting in third and he wasn't you know he wasn't losing dramatic amounts of time to leati or mackinnon uh although mackinnon was still holding on to the lead but by no means looking like victory was assured Now, looking at the footage, the stage times and results from this leg really shows why this rally is so appealing, I think. You know, at this point in the event, after 12 stages, you have five different stage winners. You know, which in itself is pretty fucking cool, you know, considering it's four different cars built to two different rule sets. Although, obviously, the the EVO 4 is not really like an old Group A car by any means. Uh, And it's all set up for this three-way fight to go right down to the wire you know, the top three have basically remained within the same sort of gap the whole way through the event, you know, uh, and a chance for one of the three to claim their first WRC victory, ably guided by Pons, who was no stranger to the top step of the podium, of course.
0: Good old sister. Bob.
1: The final leg of the rally would start with the famous sister on stage uh, in this running 37 kilometers of Tricky, narrow, 3 line tarmac, climbing for the first 25 kilometers before a descent to the finish for the last 11. Uh, and to put it into kind of some perspective as well, like, like obviously 37 kilometers is a, a bloody long stage. The last running of this stage was 20 kilometers. Jesus. You know, um, so yeah, uh, it's, that's a lot <laughs> to be, uh, you know, at a maximum, particularly into the last day, you know, when you're, when you have a few crews, you know, within. X amount of seconds of each other, and this is a stage that could be. This stage alone could be make or break for your entire rally.
0: Well, absolutely. Uh, what I find quite interesting is to go back to mine. It's it, within such a tiny span of years, ninety-one to ninety-seven. You've already got a sea change in how rallies are run. You know, come ninety-seven, we have three legs run on a Friday to a Sunday. It's fairly tightly prescribed how long they could be. Whereas ninety-one. It starts on, uh, you know, a Thursday, runs through to Monday night. You know, and, and, and it's a complete, you know, there's no real formula as to how long stages really need to be. You can have overnight running well into the night, mm. but for better or worse. I mean, you know, better because it was fantastic. But it's, I find it fascinating how, you know, within six years things have become markedly more homogenized and would continue to be. So, you know, the next, from 97 to 2000, things get even more sort of formulaic in that regard.
1: Yeah, because like what really struck me listening to your one is that, like, you know, the 91 running finished in the night. Mm. Whereas yeah. it, it, coming from a from today's point night, of view. Well, not yeah,
0: just it's... like, you know, 6.30 at night.
1: Yeah, it was at night. It wasn't just the evening and it had been dark. You know, and coming from now and it's, it was actually still surprising to me because obviously watching Monty for the last you know, 20 years or so or whatever, it, the thought of it finishing in darkness seems mm. so strange and alien now.
0: Yeah, it's a shame. You can take these things too far. But
1: yeah, anyway. So, Liatti in an interview with TV crews in the service park deemed the sister on stage terrible and very difficult. Um, no, whether that was some sort of gamesmanship, I don't know. But he announced he'd go full attack, and full attack he did. For a guy claiming the stage was terrible, ad he would quote a winded, rain-drenched opener. Nine seconds faster than signs. Um, no, you know, nine seconds faster than anyone on any stage is bloody quick. But to be, you know, ni- nine seconds actually as a gap over thirty-seven kilometers on that stage is bloody close. You know, uh, it shows the level these guys were operating at. And crucially, 38 seconds quicker than Mackinan, who had again found himself on the wrong tyre. Elevating Liati to first place. 12 seconds clear of signs and Mackinan with a further two back. So, starting to get really dramatic here now. Determined to fight back, Tommy would comfortably win the following stage. Six seconds quicker than the Subaru crew and closing back in on the lead. But not for long as a spin on special stage 15 would cost him too much time and put him out of the fight for the win, completely short of some sort of unforeseen event ahead of him. It's uh, one of
0: those classic monkey spins as well, isn't it? Like a really low drama, low speed, end swapping. Yeah, where the crew has time to effectively put their hands up and, and think and, and really really absorb how annoyed they are. <laughs> yeah, the,
1: the one you can feel even more so because they've got so much time to react in frustration, mid-spin even, because it's so slow. Though Macnin would remain in third. Uh, so this would effectively put any chance of the lead changing hands out the window, as despite El Matador's best efforts, Leati with the taste of the winner's champagne on his tongue, put in a masterful performance, winning all remaining stages, giving the World Rally Carrier an all-new winner in an all-new car. 55 seconds ahead of twice champion Carlos Sainz. Perhaps not the winner one would have expected going into this event with such stacked opposition. Another reason why this event is, in my eyes, so special. This was truly a moment to be seized by the Italian, and I think by early on the second day, he knew the top step was at in reach, especially with McRae gone. You know, I think this, you know, he didn't have to worry about, you know, trying to be McRae's backup. He was feeling good in the car, you know, he kept his head, you know, and, and he shared the podium with two world champions standing above them both for the first time while his world champion teammate could only watch from the crowd.
0: Absolutely. Fantastic. And and not from the artist's point of view. If you were going to only have one top flight wins to your name, not a bad one to choose. Monty and the opening chapter of a new perhaps the most consequential era in, in Raleigh history. You know,
1: it's uh, it's no bad thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, exactly that. I mean, you're coming into this era, you've got those heavyweights with them. You know, OK, McRae, you'd you know, not perhaps take out a contention, but he's never going to be a Monty favourite. But the other two, completely, you know. Um, so fair play to Liad. That's not to discredit the man um, by any means. You know, but he's he, he's he's tackling some big guns uh, on a very specialized, very challenging, very changing event. Like the stages evolve so quickly and so unexpectedly in Montaigne. That's what holds so much. You know, that's why it's so special. Wow, um, it. Yeah, you know, and uh, he he handled it with sub, sublime class, and just yeah, great win. I think he he seemed to be a very popular winner uh, within his competitors as well um it's fantastic and that's that's 97 for me
0: i think you've done a very good choice i i i i mean i think we both discussed how how big a role that particular running had in our respective like formative rally loves and and it's not hard to see why you know it's i i think that rally and certainly what it represents the start of the wrc era is the under undersold most important sea change in top tier rallying history. You know, it's it's that severing of that homologation, uh, Gordian knot to borrow a McLean phrase, and and it's everything. You know, uh, it's it's we might not like how it means we can't buy homologated versions of a Corolla WRC, but the fact that we could have been able to watch top tier rallying in that kind of car for the last quarter century exists in my view because of the WRC regulations.
1: Absolutely yeah and there's no doubting that whatsoever I mean I mean these regulations did prove their worth and over to 98, 99 and onwards although I guess particularly from 98 to 2003 I guess in terms of number of manufacturers and whatnot.
0: Yeah, it was a sweet spot, wasn't it? I mean, it's yeah, I think the global economy was was humming along at that point as well. And and the FAA was listening to the manufacturers and yeah, and we were rewarded. I think that was a successful uh experiment in a new formula. Um we are going to uh press ahead with doing these, as we said, with choice events um for the remainder of the 2023 WRC roster calendar. Um uh, well, let us know what you think. Uh, we're definitely going to uh, polish our uh our, our plan of attack. Um, and yeah, hopefully, you found it interesting. Uh, we'd love to hear what you guys uh would consider your own personal favorite uh Monte Carlo rallies, but you have to keep it in the time span of when you were alive and kicking. No point picking one from long before. So, I'd like to, we'd both love to hear.
1: Europe. Yeah, I think that's what makes this this kind of one a bit more fun. It, it narrows the window a bit, and uh, yeah, you've got to put a bit more thought into the choice, perhaps. Um, and no, so yeah, and no, yeah. Group B.
0: Who the fuck would want Group B, eh? I mean, just overloaded toss, yeah? No, it's no, no, un- automatic cars, you know, and yeah, uh, easy nah. to drive, easy,
1: easy to drive, you know, not a lot of glamour attached to it, way too safe. Short,
0: short stages.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, you could pick and choose your events. Turn th- turn up at fuck all, you know. You <laughs> could be off lapping Esteril. <laughs> um, so oh. yeah, no, looking forward to kind of maintaining this format throughout the year with a few select events and um yeah, hopefully it won't be as rusty maybe as this one I and mean, we might we might hone it a little bit. And uh yeah, and as this is going out on Monty start day, I suppose it'd be rude not to discuss this year's monty despite her lack of attention on current affairs the
0: monty um, going this this weekend coming, is it hmm. <laughs> <laughs> who's who's your uh, who's your uh, uh, suggestion for an outright winner
1: it, it might be very lazy to suggest Ogier, but i mean it's is it hard to look past him um uh, struggled last year and monday i know he, he won the power stage but he wasn't he wasn't the color we saw later in the year. Um, and I think ultimately this kind of rally probably still doesn't suit him. Uh, and it just has so much more experience on it. Um, and he hasn't been out of the car as long, you know, I mean, obviously he was in the last event. I know we've had a break, but he's coming into it with the same break. Everyone else has had now, rather than someone that's been in and out of the car. The Yaris looks fantastic. It's sounding way better as well. There's definitely a new sound to it. It sounds tremendous. Um, it's very
0: hard to not get excited about the um the the weeks leading up to Monty with the pre Monty pre event testing
1: videos, isn't it? It's, they're the best pre event testing videos as well. Bar Finland maybe. Um yeah, I mean yeah, that's my choice. I mean Ois has never been a big Monty man either. And I think he's been, you know, particularly after the the that accident in twenty twenty, he's been struggling even more. I don't know. Um so we'll see. And plus the Puma. Okay, it did have a good Monty last year. But, you know, as you've said before, M Sport traditionally come out of the blocks rather strong and they did seem to get left behind a little bit uh, last year. So it's the prospect is not the same for the Puma. Uh, happy to be proven wrong, but who knows? Yeah, what about you?
0: I think, I think, well, I would have gone to Rogier as well. But since you've, you've taken that, I'm going to go. the probably go for Cali because, heck. Everything you say is, is completely correct about it him, him not being uh, an environment as he's traditionally well suited to, but equally, he's a uh, bunderkind and probably going to rewrite the record books as long as he chooses to stay around and not do something else. So, I, I you know, I can't have Ogier the old head on old shoulders. I think Cali is probably the other one.
1: Another year of Toyota domination, then, is that what we're expecting?
0: I suspect so. Interesting to see now. what um
1: yeah I mean he seems to have kind of been left a little bit does he um hopefully he's a better year this year he seems like a good lad so we'll but see then
0: equally you know talk about two teammates right I mean one to the generation talent paired with the the the, the perhaps the last one to the generation talent I mean it's 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 yeah. Short of coming of age in 2002 as a rally driver and have to deal with Seb 1, there aren't many tougher, sterner tests, I think.
1: No, no, absolutely not. Um, so, yeah, let's bring this episode to a close. Uh, this has been episode one of season three. Um, thanks to all of you who've come back to listen to us after our break and who've been sticking with us so far. Thanks very much again for Slipping Grip Automotive for coming on board. Please check those guys out Uh, Facebook, Instagram and go to their website to find out a bit more. Uh, if you're looking to book a test day, uh, those guys can help you out. It's a great facility uh, and you get some valuable seed time on a, a very representative tarmac stage.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Thank you very much to Ross and the guys at Slip and Grip. And thank you very much to everyone who's tuned in again to listen to us uh, waffle on about Monte Carlo's. Um, here's to a fantastic season. And uh, please tune in again for series two, episode two.
1: Yeah. So follow us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Please give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Um, follow us on Instagram. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. And check out Jamie's Facebook page, The Gravel Crew, uh, for some more rally content. Thanks very much for listening once again. And goodbye.